everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, I have、um, a friend of mine named Chu Jin Kim, and he's here to tell us what he does and about his job. Hey, Chu Jin, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining me today.、Um, I feel like we met like I feel like right before you got married, right? Yeah, I think it was through、um, Servants Network. Oh,、um, okay. I, yeah, you're right. You're right. I remember now. <laughs> yeah.、Um, you're not originally from Atlanta, though, right? No, I'm not. Where are you from?、Uh, well, I was born in Korea, but then、um, I grew up in Orange County, California, and、oh. then so yeah, I spent my childhood and I got, I went to high school there, and then went to college up in、uh, Cornell University in upstate New York, and then moved down here after I graduated in 2013. So I've been、oh. here about for seven years now. Why did you move to Atlanta? Um, it was kind of the only job. I had to... Okay.、Um, but then, but also, you know, I really hated the cold of、mm-hmm. being in upstate New York and the、mm-hmm. Northeast. Ah,、uh, so it worked out. And then, and my family was here at the time too. So、oh, okay, so they moved from LA, that from Orange County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they moved independently of me, but then I just happened to find a job um in Atlanta. And then at the time, it, it, my first job was、um, working for Starwood Hotels,、uh, which come, it doesn't exist anymore. It's been acquired by Marriott Hotels.、Um, but yeah, that that was my first job coming to Atlanta in 2013. Oh wow! I actually remember Starwood Hotels, honestly. But so,、yeah. what did you do for them when you were working?、Uh, for them, I was、uh, an analyst revenue management.、Um, so revenue management is. Which I'll probably talk about later too is is a function that's pretty unique to the hospitality industry and travel industry. So you know, hotels, airlines, rental cars, and crews.、Um, so revenue management is basically the practice of、um, you know maximizing revenue because in those industries,、um, the the product or service that we sell are perishable goods. So like for example, in the retail, you know, if you can't sell this computer today, you can just store it up and then sell it tomorrow. But then, for something like hotel rooms or airline seats, if you can't sell it for that flight or that night, like that's lost opportunity、um, in terms of、uh, what you're selling. So the idea is to、um, like understand the customers and then making sure that we are getting the most, like we're making, we're maximizing the customers' willingness to pay for their products by understanding them, and then just building our revenue. Or maximizing our revenue in that way. Holy smokes! Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I understand.、Sense? Yeah.、Um, okay. Gosh.、Um, so, is that similar to what you do now?、Um, so, what I do now is、um, I'm in the network planning team of Delta Airlines, and which that means、uh, is basically determine. It's the team that determines where Delta flies. So we determine where we fly, what aircraft we're flying, and when we're flying. Whether it's、uh, you know time of the year or what time of the day, those kind of things.、Um, but I did initially get into Delta Airlines、um, by with my revenue management experience at hotels. So like I mentioned, revenue management is very unique to these industries. So my experience that I had with revenue management in the hotels allowed me to join Delta in their revenue management team. Eventually, yeah. I moved to the network planning team of Delta. Okay. Okay. So、yeah. back up just for a second.、Um, so a few questions that come immediately to my head, Jujin, is like,、yeah. is that a major?、Uh, like, did you major in this? No.、Um, well, I majored in hospitality administration. So think of it as just like a business degree, but focusing on the hospitality industry.、Oh. So as part of like my curriculum, in that I did study a bit of revenue management and just the concept of it.、Um, but no, it's it's just I guess one aspect of business, like similar to how you know, for other companies, marketing is a big aspect, human resources is one aspect, finance is one aspect. But for airlines and hotel revenue management, it's just kind of one other branch that doesn't exist anywhere else.、Um, yeah, because that makes complete sense.、Yeah. Like, how are you going、yeah. to sell your product day to day if it just kind of like goes、mm-hmm. to waste every single day if it's not? Yeah, and, and and that's the that's the art, I guess, the art and science of it. Because、um, you know, when you think of an airline seat,、um, you know, if you're going from You know, New York to LA, for example. You, as a person who's、um, you know there for to visit family, 
you know, you probably don't want to fork up more than three, four hundred dollars um, because, you know, you're paying out of your pocket and you, you your husband, two kids. So it's a lot of money for a leisure traveler. And so what you want to do as a leisure traveler is to buy it for as cheap as possible. But, you know, on the opposite end of that, um, you know, you have a business traveler, traveler who is not paying out of their pocket. Their company's paying for it. And so they're willing to fork up, you know, two thousand dollars just to get the last minute seat on that, that, that same exact flight. So ultimately what, you know, what we're doing is providing that same exact service per se, getting you from point A to point B, but, but depending on what your needs are and what kind of customer you are, you have a very different willingness to pay. Um, and, and so what we're trying to do is kind of optimize that and maximize that um, from the revenue management. Does that make sense? It, it, okay. So it makes sense. It might be a little, yeah. I'm just curious, like, so, like, how does one, like, even start that process? Like, what does this, like, brainstorming session look like in order for you to, like, yeah, optimize for the person that's purchasing it? Is that, does that question make any um, sense? So, it, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily optimizing it for the person purchasing it, but it's optimizing how we fill up our airplanes. Okay, okay. Um, so, how does that work? So, you know, in an ideal, yeah. Yeah, because like, so in an ideal world, you know, we want the entire plane to be filled with business customers who are paying thousands of dollars per seat, right? Because <laughs> sure. then our plane is full and um, we get most, we get, you know, most revenue out of that. But unfortunately, in reality, um, you know, we can't find 200 business passengers every day going from, you know, LA to J J uh, JFK. And so when you think of, you know, booking an air airfare, you know, we have... Our, our schedules out for, you know, like 330 days out. So basically if you were to book today, you can book as far out as 300 day, 30 days later from today. Right. Okay. But so P so we used kind of the different behaviors of the customers. Like for example, if you are a customer looking to buy uh, travel for vacation, you're going to be thinking, you know, months out. Right. And so basically what we do is we open up inventory on the plane at the lower price point. Um, to allow these kind of leisure customers to book to maybe, you know, 20, 30%, 40% of the aircraft. And as the aircraft fills up and as we get closer to the day of departure, um, the price points will start going up uh, because obviously, you know, demand, supply and demand. So if there's less seats available now, we're going to charge you more. And then kind of on the opposite end of that, you know, let's say the flight is departing tomorrow and we have, uh, you know, five, 10 seats left to sell. But, you know, a, a business executive, you know, realizes that they need to travel across country for a big meeting last minute, you know, they're going to do whatever it takes to make that flight. So they're going to pay us, they're going to, they're willing to pay us a lot more for that seat. Um, so in a way, it's kind of like, um, you know, like that example where you have like a bucket and you first fill it with the big rocks and then the small rocks and then like the little sands to make sure that the you're you're actually filling up the bucket as opposed because if you do the sand first you know you can't put in the big rocks and things like that it's kind of like that where all of our flights and even hotel rooms um you need to start with like some of the like a different segment of people which is like usually the leisure customers who are paying less and then once we are able to hit a certain occupy uh, a certain load factor which is basically how full the plane is we can start you know also filling up with some of the other types of customers like a business customer and so we're trying to optimize that balance to make sure that the plane the plane falls as full as possible and also you know by having the customers pay the the highest fare possible okay so everything you just said i feel like honestly is is kind of common sense like if you think about it like that makes perfect sense to do it that way but i find it extremely fascinating that to hear you talk about it in this way, you know, because, um, again, with all of the jobs that I have been interviewing, the people that work and do these really odd end jobs, I, it's not odd end, it's just things you don't think about, you know, right, right, yeah. a, leisure fly, a leisure flyer, I never think about that. But it makes sense because, yes, if I'm planning a trip to go to Florida with my kids, you know, I in, in March, I'm going to start looking now. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, then everyone kind of knows, oh, the earlier you look, it's going to be a little bit cheaper. Mm -hmm. Closer you get to the date, it goes higher. But yeah. okay, like, um, what about like, you know, 
frequent flyers and stuff like uh-huh. and mileage and things like that like are uh-huh. you guys just covering the cost i've always wondered that uh what you mean when do we let when do we use miles or okay so like my dad is a frequent flyer and he has a lot of miles and then he uses mm-hmm. those miles to pay for tickets right mm-hmm. so yeah. like is that just like where you guys are just covering the cost of that mileage because of the amount of money was already spent or do you get no uh well so (laughs) so miles can be used from a strategic perspective as well um at least from you know revenue management side too so oftentimes we have um you know when you find a good deal in terms of miles it's because we we're we're seeing this distressed and we're basically selling distressed inventory so basically based on the trends that we're seeing or for the dates uh you know where like for example if you're looking at um maybe like that period between uh like period between like christmas and new year's it might be a little dead because people already travel like kind of uh, either before christmas or like after new year's so if you have a date where we know it's going to be weak in terms of like our load factor how full the plane gets what we can do is use that as kind of a a lever in terms of miles so that, you know, if we look like we're giving uh, our customers a great deal, but it's really because no one else is booking those seats. And so that's That's one way. (laughs) I mean, so that's one way. So that's one way we can use it. Um, But obviously we, you know, sometimes um, we do, I mean, we allow like the mile bookings to come. So like, for example, if an airplane has like 200 seats, right. Um, Typically, you know, I mean, I can get into a lot more of the technical details, but let's get into be, it. I want to hear. Just be, it. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, I'm trying to explain. So basically, I mean, I guess to put it simply, if we have 200 seats on a plane, the airline is willing to allocate about you know, and this is an arbitrary number, like five to ten percent of those seats to mile to customers that are paying with miles. Oh. Um, and again, and that number, that number of allocated seats for miles could be different based on just the market and the seasonality, like the time of the year. So like, for example, in the winter, everyone's want to go, everyone is for winter, you know, a hot market would be like Hawaii. You know, everyone wants to fly to Hawaii in the winter, right? So if that's the case, we might not allocate, we might not allow as many my, uh, my award bookings, uh, or we might increase the price of the miles so that it makes it a little harder for customers to book because there are, because there are customers out there that are willing to pay top dollars to go to Hawaii in the winter, Mm. right? But then for like, let's say you're trying to go to Oklahoma City on a Tuesday uh, in August. No, there really isn't a demand for that. So you Mm -hmm. might find a good deal in terms of what is available in terms of your award ticket uh, for dates like that. So there's a, so so the miles can be used in a very strategic way to help us um, fill those seats um, because regardless, it is a customer um, and it's also, um, it's a good, um, I guess, it's a good experience for the customer to be able to uh, redeem yeah, uh, those is. miles for a I, ticket. I like, feel so uh, good about it every time. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I got so, a free ticket, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we're definitely using that on a, in, a, in a strategic way. So it's not like we're giving away free seats, you know, it's just, you know, we're, but again, you know, it really depends on the exact market and the time of year and time of day even. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I was just really curious. It really <laughs> has nothing to do with your job. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, um, that's a fair question. But that's something that we we would have done in revenue management. So you're not in revenue ma- management now, you mentioned. You're no, in a different no. department. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that department a little bit. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I guess to kind of help transition with that, basically, I got my foot in the door at Delta because of my revenue management experience at, um, at a hotel company. And then from there, um, when you think of an airline, the kind of the, the, the three core departments of an airline is revenue management, um, network planning, and sales. And the way those three departments work is, is basically network plans where we're gonna fly and what we're gonna fly. Revenue management determine the pricing of how we're gonna fill those seats. And sales is the one that actually, you know, bring people through the door. So those three teams kind of like work together to, you know, maximize our revenue and profits. And when I was working in revenue management, basically I wanted to experience kind of the, um, the other side of the coin per se, and have that experience in one of the other two um, core commercial departments. Um, and so for me, just 
with my personality being the way it is, I figured sales just wasn't the right fit for me, which is why I moved on to uh, network planning, uh, just to understand, you know, a core function of an airline. And similar to revenue management, um, you know, network planning is a department that is very unique to the airline. And it's specifically to the airline because you don't find network planning in, um, in a hotel company. Uh, whereas revenue management, you can find that in, you know, um, a rental car company or a hotel company. So, so yeah, that's how I ended up in network planning, um, which okay. is the current role. Yeah. So you said network planning, you decide like what route they're taking in the flight and then also like what type of plane is being used for a mm-hmm. specific flight. Yes. So um, I guess I don't know what to ask other than like, what does a typical day look like for you then? Uh, um, and I guess all of this will be all pre-COVID because, you know, <laughs> post-COVID, things are very different. Um, but so when you think of network planning, it's split into two major, I guess, silos of the department. So one is the planning side, which is where I am. And basically, you know, as it, as the name describes, it's what we're planning to do. So as you mentioned, I don't know if you've ever seen like a route map or if you've ever flown on Delta or any airline, you typically have like the magazine in the back seat, And on the back, there's like a, a map. Yes. Of all like the where we fly. The, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. So if you're familiar with that, that's what network planning does. We figure out where we can, where we're going to fly, um, what air, what aircraft we're using in the fleet. Um, and then, so we have that planning aspect of network planning. And then the other half who we work closely with is the scheduling team. So they're the ones that actually work with the operations, the airports, the pilots, the crew to make sure that what we're planning to fly um, actually works from an operational standpoint, right? There's because so many parts. There's so many moving parts. <laughs> I like have is. never thought about it, but it's like, yeah, like how are because it's not just Delta flying. There are other mm-hmm. airlines that are flying and it's just, okay. Anyways, yes, keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is a lot of moving parts and it is a lot of coordination um, with the operational side. Uh, and even, even um, you know, just other governments, um, because, uh, you know, it's not like just because we want to fly somewhere doesn't mean we can just fly, start flying there. We need the proper government approvals um, and the proper um, infrastructure set up so that, you know, if we fly to a new destination, you know, we have the per- correct personnel and staff to handle cargo, to handle the pers- uh, passengers, um, and even like aircraft cleaning and maintenance and turning the aircraft around. Um, so it's a lot of coordination and it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a team sport, I guess. Um, that would be a good way to put it. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess, kind of what network planning is in a nutshell. Um, so, so what it like, a, what is a typical day look like for you? Oh yeah. So a typical day, I mean, it's different because network planning is such a, um, like a long-term event looks like, for example, you know, we're not, we're, we're planning seasons at a time. So usually, um, so the airline schedule is split into two seasons, winter and summer. And, and that's because, you know, there's just, they're just vastly different in terms of um, what, where people want to go and how, you know, how, what the demand is. Obviously summer, we have a very high peak where there's a lot of leisure travelers and things like that. Winter is a lot less leisure and more business and stuff like that. And so on a day-to-day basis, I guess like um, one of the more common things that we do is uh, we create forecasts, um, like a financial forecast for our flights, um, especially when it comes to new markets or when we're changing up a market, basically to tell our leaders um, that this market will be profitable or it won't be profitable based on this kind of aircraft we're flying, based on this kind of demand that we're seeing, um, and just based on the um, like the competitive landscape that we're up against. So. So creating that financial forecast is a pretty core function of like what I do as a network planner, because if we do fly these new markets or if we do deploy a new aircraft, we want to make sure that we're getting, um, we're making money off of it, you know, because ultimately that's what we need to do. We need to make money on our flights. And so, um, so financial forecasting is one. Another thing is capacity planning. Um, so as you may or may not be aware, um, airlines also have partnerships and alliances um, across the ocean. So domestically, not so much because we're such a um, we're such a uh, like a powerful airline uh, like domestically. But when you think of so me, I work on the transatlantic network planning specifically. 
So basically anything flying over the Atlantic Ocean uh, to Europe, Africa, and Middle East. And on that side of the ocean, you know, we have our partners, uh, Air France, KLM, um, and Virgin Atlantic. And so we need to work together with these partners to manage our capacity and our capacity being how many seats that we're flying every day across the ocean. And the reason why we need to manage that and balance that is because, um, uh, you know, if you have, obviously, if, so revenue management is more working on the demand side of things, whereas network planning, we're working, working on the supply side of things. So if you dump too many seats uh, when there isn't enough demand, we can't charge as high because there's just too many seats uh, flying across the ocean. So we need to make sure we need to make sure we also understand the demand patterns and then have the appropriate number of seats or flights um, flying at depending on what time of the year to make sure that the capacity is optimal. But we also need to consider, um, you know, what our partners are doing, what our competitors are doing to make sure that we are um, you know, properly balanced. And so the thing about the partnership across the Atlantic is that we, every time we grow or shrink, we want to try to do it equitably as possible because we are partners. So for example, you know, just because I want to fly four flights JFK New York doesn't mean our partner, um, our, our partner, um, I'm sorry, not JFK New York, um, JFK Heathrow, that doesn't mean our partner Virgin Atlantic, who's based out of the UK, should also fly four times JFK Heathrow. Because then now we as partners, we are flying eight times a day and that's just too much. Um, and so we need to make sure that we're balanced in that way. And we want to make sure that, um, yeah, we're growing in a sustainable way um, in terms of that capacity. Does that make sense? I kind of like... No, it all makes sense. Okay. It's just... Um... A lot of information (laughs) and things I've never thought about, but Mm. I'm wondering, Jujin, so like, it seems like, again, a lot of moving parts. It seems like, so do you draw, so do you come up with these, these plans through data or? Um, It's, it's a mix. It's a mix of both. Um, It's, so it's kind of like arts and science where we do use you know, like demand data and like financial forecasts to see what is feasible and what is possibly profitable in these things. And so we do a lot of modeling where um, we basically look at a schedule or like a, the capacity and say like, okay, well, if, you know, if American and British Airway, if they add this many seats to this market, and then if we add this many seats and our partner adds, um, you know, this many seats, what is that demand? How is that demand going to be split up across the different carriers? And so we we have to look at it in a in an OND fashion, which is origin destination. So even if we fly JFK Heathrow, for example, actually that's a bad example. Let's say JFK Amsterdam. Um, even though we both, even though uh, we Delta and K, our partner KLM fly JFK Amsterdam, it's not necessarily carrying the passengers from just New York to Amsterdam and back, we're carrying all of US and we're funneling that into JFK. And then it goes to Amsterdam. And then from Amsterdam, our partners, KLM have an intra-Europe network. And so from Amsterdam, it's going to, you know, Copenhagen, Stockholm, uh, Istanbul, you know, everywhere. So we need to consider how and where all these different traffic combinations are going. Um, whenever we decide what to add or reduce on the transatlantic flight, because that is like that main connection between all thousands of markets in the U.S. to the thousands of markets, or not thousands, but like hundreds of markets uh, in, in, the, in the Europe side. So that's where I guess like the data side comes in, where we need to understand, okay, well, obviously the, the demand from like Omaha to New York to Amsterdam is not going to be much, but um, maybe Atlanta, New York, Amsterdam, you know, um, there is a significant demand there. So we need to make sure that all the dots are connected uh, in terms of the schedule. So that's where we also need to work with like our domestic team uh, to make sure that the Atlanta JFK flight is optimal so that the passengers from Atlanta can connect in JFK to go to Amsterdam. And then we need to work <laughs> coordinate with KLM to make sure that all the flights from Amsterdam to you know Copenhagen, whatever, is also optimal so that the, the customer can all connect. Um, in a in an efficient way, um, because you also don't want a connection where it's like a thirty minute connection and yes. you're like and the customer is like running 
to the next gate and you know we don't want that so ideally depending on the airport we have a like a minimum connection time uh, mct and so there's a ton of factors for us to consider before we even add or change a flight what's the minimum connection time just out of curiosity uh, it depends on the airport. Okay. And it okay. also depends on the direction. So okay. if you're going, yeah. So it it varies, but um, you know, it can be as short as thirty minutes. Uh, it can be as long as ninety minutes. Okay. So Chujin, I'm gonna be completely honest with you right now. Uh-huh. Um, it all sounds extremely stressful. Do you get stressed? <laughs> like, uh, or do- no? I mean, I think once you are like once you're in the weeds and once you're used to it, it's not. I mean, it sounds. I think it could sound overwhelming if you just don't know how it works. Um, but then, you know, once you're in there, it's it could be a little overwhelming at times. But at the end of the day, you know, there's only a handful of ONDs um, or markets uh, that really matter. Uh-huh. Um, so ultimately, those are the ones that you need to focus on. And you necessarily, you don't really need to focus on markets like Omaha going to Amsterdam because they just don't bring enough value to our network. Um, there isn't somebody out there from Omaha trying to pay us $2,000 to get to Europe. So, so, you know, it's something we need to consider, but it's not something that we need to focus on per se. Um, and so usually if you look at like the top 30 US markets to Europe, you know, that covers probably like 80 to 90% of the demand. And, um, and then that's good enough for us. This is so fascinating. I love it. It's <laughs> so crazy to me. Um, okay. So like, in the you mentioned like you know once you're in it it's not and you like understand what's going on and you've you've been doing it for a while you get used to it but in the beginning was it a little bit of a learning curve for you or did you feel already like in your element oh no for sure it's it's it was a huge learning curve because it because it is so unique to the airline industry um and so and again as a customer it's not something you really think about you know you just cuz as a customer you always have just that one destination, one destination in mind, which is where you're going to go. You don't need to care about all these different connections and all these different um, connections behind you and connections in front of you. Like in terms of, like if you're going from Atlanta to Amsterdam through JFK, you're not going to care about all the other connections coming in to JFK, and then you're not going to care about all the connecting passengers from Amsterdam and beyond. So from a customer's perspective, you know, yeah, it's something that you never think about. But as a network planner, you need to consider all the different combinations and what and where the valuable traffic is coming from to make sure that we are optimized in terms of our scheduling and also our flights uh, and, and, and even just the gauge, which is basically how big the aircraft is in terms of seats. Um, so if you're like, so for example, um, markets like what we call hub to hub, Basically, um, are you familiar with like the hub and spoke system of an airline? No, educate okay, me. Okay, so so <laughs> like when you so like when you look at a map of like in the in-flight magazine. Okay. Right. So typically, there are just key cities where it acts as kind of like a central hub. Like for example, Delta Air Atlanta is a is a big hub. Yes. Right? And so what we mean by hub and spoke is like if you think of like a bicycle wheel. At the center, you know, you have the hub and then you have all the spokes going out of it, right? So what we mean by hub and spoke is basically we have a handful of key hubs, like uh, for Delta, it's Atlanta, Detroit, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City. We basically funnel in all the small cities into Atlanta and then we get one big plane to connect from Atlanta to Amsterdam. And then from Amsterdam, we have a lot more smaller planes with our partner KLM, and they funnel that out from their hub, which is Amsterdam. So okay. that seems so less that, daunting to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's how uh, that's the kind of mindset we need to have when we plan. And so, when we plan that hub to hub flight Atlanta Amsterdam, we need to make sure that those planes are our best products and also our biggest products. Um, as in the airplanes with the most seats, because there are so many different passenger combinations that can go through that flight of Atlanta, Amsterdam. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. Okay, (laughs) Jujin, I'm curious to know, you know, when you graduated from high school, and Uh first of all, um, Cornell, like, you must be super smart. Because it's uh, no, job. Um, no. But 
Yeah, like, so you graduated high school. Did you know right away that you wanted to work in hospitality? Or was it something that you had to kind of explore and discover for yourself while you were in college? Yeah, hospitality was, um, I knew coming out of high school because, you know, when I applied to Cornell, I applied specifically for that hospitality program in mind. So I, I, I made that realization back in, you know, senior year of high school. Um, that I wanted to be in the hotel industry, but I think I think the what I had in mind before I entered the workforce is completely different from what I had in mind graduating. Because when I, as a freshman in Cornell, my ultimate goal in in, in hospitality was to work in Las Vegas, um, because you know that's like the, the epic mecca of hotels. Yeah, and, you know. I mean, I have and, I have a few friends that actually majored in hospitality services and things like mm-hmm. that too, and. Um, I think they actually went to school in Nevada, but from what mm-hmm. I heard too, like that's kind of the place you want to be. Right. Or, or so I thought. And so, <laughs> um, so that's what I was striving for when I was in college and um, my internship after my junior year or between my junior and senior year, I ended up with an internship in Las Vegas and I thought, oh man, I, I did it. Like I'm where I want to be and hopefully this internship turns out well and I'll get a full-time offer after I graduate and I'll be working in Vegas. And, uh, but that internship taught me that <laughs> I don't want to be in hospitality. <laughs> and so it actually made me realize it's like, oh my gosh, this is not what I want to do. Um, but you know, by then I've already invested so much in hospitality and just like working in hotels um, that kind of that, that was kind of like my only option coming out of college, I guess. Um, and so I ended up working for Starwood, as I mentioned, but I ended up working for a, uh, in the corporate office. So like a desk job, nine to five, because uh, with that internship in Vegas, I realized, oh, my gosh, like I kind of don't want to deal with people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so day. when you were interning in Vegas, you were like up front. Is that what? You're- yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know, dealing with customers, um, you know, walking around the hotel in a suit and like. You know, I thought I was cool, but in fact, it, it really wasn't. And so just like, I think Vegas, you know, it also attracts a certain kind of crowd. Sure. Um, and so I was just so sick of dealing with those kind of people. Um, very obnoxious. I mean, it could be very obnoxious, you know, like sometimes there's like drunk people. And and it's just like, I, I could not see myself doing that for the rest of my life. Right. And also, um, you know, hotels are pretty much all hotels are 24-7 operation, regardless of Christmas. Uh, regardless of if it's 3 a.m. So, you know, I had to work a lot of like funky shifts, um, working 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. sometimes, um, working on Sundays. And that made me miss church with, uh, which I, I, you know, that's not something that I wanted to give up. Um, and I've worked plenty of holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, um, and all of that, especially cause you know, you're at the bottom of the, of the ladder. So you get all the worst shifts. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and for me, I always wanted to have, you know, a fa- I want to. I always wanted to be a family-oriented person, so I knew that this this kind of career was not um, sustainable in the long run, um, which is why I ended up kind of like shifting my mindset to the corporate setting, um, and then just kind of like moving on from there. Wow. Okay. So, um, how do you know your first job at Starwood? Did you just um, find that through a recruiter, or how how did that work right out of college? Yeah, that one, uh, it was through a recruiter. Um, so because we were a hotel, um, because it was a hotel school program, uh, we had a lot of like hospitality recruiters come come through. And so that's, yeah, that's just kind of, I guess, like the typical way um, that I found it as a, coll- as a college senior. Um, that's awesome. I just feel like, so um, it, when you first started at Starwood as a revenue man, re- sorry, revenue manager? Management, manager? revenue management analyst. <laughs> Um, um, and you had, you know, done this internship in Vegas and you're working in corporate now. Did you feel like, okay, this is more my pace at that moment? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think just the whole, like just the fact that I could get the weekends off and I could get the holidays to myself. I think that was like, it's like, okay, like this is for me. Um, you know, just because, you know, that's where I, because I truly, I valued, um, you know, family time 
and you know those kind of things so so yeah i think as soon as i st- i know like a lot of people are not about that nine to five desk job but like for me it was like it was a great fit <laughs> which is why i'm still doing like a you know nine to five desk job yeah no i mean i think a lot of people like or me personally i like the schedule of things i feel like i would hate working all those odd hours and stuff like that yeah. and just kind of being on call all the time um but maybe somebody mm. there might be people that i guess enjoy that um yeah <laughs> but um so I'm curious Jujin so as you were talking explaining kind of the details of your job um like what kind of characteristics or like personality traits about yourself do you think are like um helpful in what you do um hmm. that's a good question I think well definitely like the te- like I consider myself very um high in attention to detail. And I think that helps in, in the forecasting aspects of it. Uh, because, you know, when you do forecast, you're basically trying to predict what's going to happen and you don't know what's going to happen. So you're just trying to like create that forecast based on what you, the understanding that you do have and the data that you do have. And so I think when it comes to that, like having that attention to detail, um, I think was key for me. Uh, where I found that as a, as a benefit. Um, other than that, I think... And this is something that I'm struggling with that would be good for this role is, you know, the, um, your, like whether you're okay with ambiguity or not. Um, Cause there's a lot of ambiguity in network planning, um, especially because it's a lot of long-term planning. And so, cause you know, you might be planning for one thing based on assumptions X, Y, Z, but then if your competitor, um, American Airlines or United, if they come in all of a sudden and they announce that they're going to fly this thing that you were planning to fly, it's like, well, now that throws all of your forecasts off and that throws all of your assumptions off. And obviously you don't know what they've been working on. So sometimes we often get these kind of like surprise, like announcements from other airlines, like, oh, they're going to start flying this, you know, um, seven times a week and they're going to be using their latest aircraft. And we're like, dang it, we're, we were going to serve that market. Right. Like now, <laughs> But now it looks like we are the followers and not the leaders. And, you know, that we're going to have some added competition that we weren't accounting for. And so, you know, it's back to the drawing board then, you know, we need to change the assumptions in the forecast and, you know, to do different types of analysis to make sure that, okay, even with this new addition of uh, like a new competitor in the market, are we still going to be profitable? And so there were a lot of times where we had to be kind of, um, we had to go back to the drawing board to make sure that um, our plans still worked in terms of profitability um so that yeah so it, it, there is a lot of ambiguity in that sense um and yeah i guess i guess that would be one of the other things um, and i would be so frustrated <laughs> i mean i guess it you, is, get it, used to it, you get used to it but yeah. then in the moment i think i'd be like what <laughs> yeah it, it is frustrating and it, it does freak out a lot of le- a lot of the leaders um sometimes and so it but then, you know, it is what it is. And it's basically, you know, all the work that you did the past month, it's just gone. Like, because now this new um, variable came into the play and now it's, you know, changing things considerably. So there is this like, kind of like, um, like almost like a race then even sometimes like between different airlines. Yeah, I think, I think a, a good like um like an, an analogy might be like network planning is similar to like a game of chess so like for example but with like multiple care uh with multiple players so like for example in your head you might think okay i'm gonna move this rook here and then knight there and then okay and then that will set me up for success but then the competitors are also th- having their own set of moves that they're gonna do so with each move that you have to change your strategy and then figure out, okay, like, well, well that I wasn't anticipating that, but now I got to think of something else to, you know, to get ahead. And so it like, I think chess would be a good, good analogy in terms of like that network planning aspect, especially because it is a very competitive um, landscape that we're in and, you know, airlines, you know, like, you know, our margins aren't like, you know, like as good as some of the other industries. So we need to be just really careful in how we plan things, especially in the context of um, competitors. That's so interesting. My goodness. Yeah. 
<laughs> Again, I'm like stressed thinking about it, but I know <laughs> elements. So I'm like, but um. So what do you what do you like about your job? Like, is there something that you really enjoy to do, or enjoy doing um, while you're there? I guess the the fun part about network planning, I guess, is um, for me meeting up with the partners um, because you work with such different group of people. Um, you know, because just culturally we're just so different. Um, so for for me in network planning, you know, I'm working with the Dutch, working with the French, and working with the British people, and so just like meeting with them. And you know, before all COVID and stuff, we would meet, you know, on a quarterly basis or so once a quarter, and that entailed uh, either them coming to us or us visiting them in Amsterdam uh, or or wherever in Europe. And so the trip itself is obviously uh, really exciting. Um, but yeah, just working with such different group of people, um, I think is, has been like really, uh, good for me just cause, you know, being exposed to just very different, um, I guess like point of views and just very, a very diverse working, um, work habits. And so it, yeah, that's been probably the most exciting part about like what I do in network planning. Oh, that that is cool. I, yeah. I didn't imagine that you would have to meet other people from the from different countries and stuff like that that you work with. Yeah, I mean, mostly with just our partners and even um, with my other role at Delta with revenue management. So that one, I worked on the Pacific side. So I, I met with Korean Air and Virgin Australia, um, you know, very regularly. And so so that, that's also, that was a really cool part of that job as well. Oh, man. Uh, so yeah. what, is there anything that you don't like about your job? <laughs> Um, I think, as I kind of mentioned before, like the ambiguity of it, um, because, you know, like for me, my personality is like, I like black and white. Like, I like to know what I'm doing and I'm a planner, but not in a network planning kind of sense. But like, I like to know what I'm doing. I like to know where I'm headed. Um, But network planning, because it could be so ambiguous, um, that's been frustrating for me at times. And also, um, oftentimes we have a lot of, so obviously, like profitability is our number one goal, but sometimes, you know, for strategic reasons, we're willing to lose money to to compete, and so I, I think that has been a little bit frustrating for me, like because I understand the strategic need of it, but sometimes it just doesn't make sense to me that we're still willing to operate a certain flight even though we're losing money. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like, but in terms of I guess like our executive leaders at Delta, you know, they think they're you know they're obviously playing the long game. So, um, you know, sometimes those kind of things come into play. And for me, like, I get it. I get why we have to do it. But for me to create a forecast that says it's going to lose money, but yet we're going to fly it, it like just doesn't sit well with me, if Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But I totally understand the business decision and why we need to fly a flight at a loss. But it's just, yeah, it just doesn't sit well with me in terms of like my my peace of mind, I guess. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, so you, Jujin, you mentioned a couple of times through our conversation, um, you know, like pre-COVID um, as opposed to now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you were able to speak on this a little bit, but how has COVID affected your job, like in what it is doing? <laughs> um, it's been crazy. Uh, I guess, I guess it was most crazy, like right around March, April, when it first hit. And so, um, as I mentioned, I my team specifically, we work on the transatlantic. And so back in March, um, you know, the, the Trump administration, they did the, the ban on European travel. So basically, I, I don't know if I remember the numbers correctly, but basically we would be flying, I think it was about 96 flights a day to Europe, from the US to Europe, but, Overnight, we changed that to like two flights a day um, because because we weren't allowed to fly it. And um, so once the ban came into place, basically all the bookings, like pretty much like 95% of the book- bookings just kind of like burned off. Uh, they got, it got canceled because the customers knew that they weren't, um, either they knew that they couldn't fly or they had no idea what was going on. So like out of confusion, they just played it safe and canceled. So, you know, literally like 95% of our bookings just disappeared overnight um, and continues to disappear. So our flights, our network had to shrink because we can't be flying empty planes. 
um, that, you know, flying a plane costs a lot of money. Right. So, so when the pandemic first hit, um, we basically, you know, cut our flights by like 95, 98%. We were only operating two flights. Um, and even those two flights were only like 20, 30% full. And so, um, it was really stressful because we didn't know what to do and we didn't know it, it was so unprecedented that, um, even all of our reporting and all of our metrics that we were looking at, it didn't matter anymore because we're just at a whole nother level uh, of, of operating. And, and so, um, so that was pretty crazy. And I think once we kind of got used to that new normal, we started building our network back up, you know, going from two flights to three and then three to five. And then we kind of like hovered around 12 flights a day. Which is still uh, crazy, like 12 Yeah, flights. which is still crazy low, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Compared to pre-COVID, which was like high 90s each day. Um, so yeah, it's, so all that to say, like work has slowed down considerably because, you know, you can't really plan the transatlantic network if you, if people can't fly uh, and get and enter the European countries. Um, so yeah, ultimately the work has slowed down considerably. Um, obviously we're being optimistic and, you know, hopeful and trying to plan for the future. But again, there's just so much uncertainty, so much ambiguity. Um, you know, we have no idea when the vaccine will be available. We have no idea when the travel ban will be lifted. Um, so it's just, it's just a lot of kind of like running different types of scenarios um, to see which one is more realistic. And even then, you know, we find a new set of assumptions, and then we have to run it again, run the plan again, and then something new happens, and then uh, you know, like COVID cases start rising up again or you know uk just recently locked down again uh same with france so like that you know throws a wrench into our plan again so it's been just constant reiteration of different scenarios um based on our you know what's happening out there uh, in terms of government policies or yeah travel bans and things like that covid so, cases rising blah 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 yeah so insane like just this time that yeah. we're in right now um yeah and I just feel like, yeah, I mean, your job, I feel like, would be hit the hardest. I mean, there are plenty yeah. <laughs> of people that are um, struggling right now, but um, I just, like, no one's flying. And, like, I'm curious, yeah. you know, those 12 flights a day, like, who's flying? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, so those are, like, very, um, so if you are a U.S., a EU citizen, you can still fly back and forth. Um, so, so it's mostly people repatriating back home. Uh, so, so Europeans that were in the U.S. going, um, I, I want to. I, I think most of the passengers are those, but also you can get special exemptions um, if you are going for like diplomatic missions or like other. I think there were just certain key criteria that you have to meet for you to be able to um, enter uh, the EU. So it just really depends, but it's mostly just repatriations. Oh, gosh, so interesting. Yeah. All of it is just so crazy. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, again, you know, just being far removed from travel in general, I, you know, I I would imagine that it that things have changed. But to this extent, it's just so crazy to even think about that. There's just like a few flights a day. That's yeah. crazy. Do you even know, like, domestically, too? Like, has that significantly decreased as well? Or is it about the um, same? No, it it did decrease significantly, um, but I don't know the extent of it. Um, but definitely, uh, it, it it's made a noticeable impact. And you know, there's just not too many business travelers flying, and and that's where we make most of the, our money. Sure. And so, yeah. it, so the the airline as a whole is still struggling just because you know the the good traffic isn't there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, Chujin, you know, I think we're coming to the end of our time together. Um, I really appreciate just all the information because i feel like again yeah. this is a lot of stuff that people don't think about and i feel mm. like there could be people that find this like i mean i find it fascinating uh -huh. i i don't think i would be good for this type of job but <laughs> but i feel like there would be people that are and um for people that you know are listening that are like man network planning for an airline or even just going into hospitality in general do you have uh -huh. any advice for for them uh, <laughs> um uh, i don't know i guess 
like don't be try don't be afraid to try something new um because you know like airline it's not some it's not something i i was striving for it's not something where i imagined to go um you know because for me it's always been hotels 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 but you know an opportunity came up and i had i knew nothing about the airlines yet i made that jump like you know just kind of a leap of faith like well it's I think it's similar enough where I can transfer my skills, and thankfully I did. And uh, it, you know, and I've had I've been with Delta for you know four and a over four and a half four and a half years now, wow. and you know it's been an amazing experience. You know, just as a company and just being able to travel and um, just uh, airline industry is just so unique. Um, so yeah, like I guess if I never made that leap of faith, like I would have never you know had this four and a half years of experience here. Uh, and I would have probably worked at a hotel and, you know, working weekends and, you know, something working weekends and, and weird shifts that nobody wants. <laughs> um, so, so I think, I think, yeah, just giving that chance um, to try something new. Um, I think, I think it has been helpful for me, even going from revenue management to network planning, you know, I knew nothing about network planning, but um but I knew that there was an opportunity for me to learn and new, uh, learn new set of skills and new set of um, information about the airline. So, you know, I made that jump and it's been a great learning experience. And so, yeah, I think, I think just taking that, being open to, to different and unexpected experiences, I think has been helpful, at least in, in my career path, uh, to get me to uh, where I am today. That's awesome. That's really good advice yeah. for just life in general. Try something new. <laughs> yeah, I hope Don't so. be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Which, which is, I think, so great uh, for me about doing this podcast is, um, you know, trying to expose the fear of the unknown. You know, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, you've never heard of network planning. Let me let me give you a little taste from Chujin, yeah. and maybe you'll think about it. And so I think that's really yeah. great. Thank you so much. You know, by the way, um, I don't even know if you know the answer to this, but uh. Like your coworkers in network planning, do you happen to know like their education background? I'm just curious. Like, is there like a major that people should study? To like... uh, um, <laughs> I think network planning is a little bit unusual. Where there are people, there are a handful of people that actually studied um, like uh, airline management. Oh wow! Yeah. So I mean, my boss just has like a business degree, um, but my my director he actually studied airline management um, in uh, Embry Riddle. And so actually a lot of our um, network planning colleagues come from Embry-Riddle and I think like Purdue also has airline management program. So network planning is full of a lot of those people. Um, but obviously in revenue management, it's a lot more diverse in terms of our educational backgrounds. Um, so I think network planning might be a little bit of an outlier. Mm-hmm. But yes, there is apparently a major for airline management. Interesting. <laughs> I yeah. see. Just learning all kinds yeah. of new things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jujin, for your time today. Um, if you guys have any questions about today's episode or you're just interested in learning more about network planning, revenue management, hospitality, anything at all, or you just want to get to know Jujin, I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you. Um, please feel free to DM uh, me through social media or you can email us at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Thanks so much, guys. Until next time. Bye. Thank you.